Hello and welcome to Michael Rain's Outdoor Lives podcast. This is a podcast aimed at mountain leaders, mountaineering instructors, anybody really with an interest in the hills. We cover a whole range of topics. We cover people who work in different aspects of the upland environment. We talk to land managers, landowners, but we also talk to providers of courses. We talk to to botanists, to biologists, you name it. Um, We try and cover the widest possible range of interests that we can in the upland environment. And listen, if there's anybody who you would like us to talk to, and all you got to do is drop us a line and uh, we'll see if we can fix up an interview with that person. These podcasts come to you in two ways. They come to you on Spotify, which is free to air, and they will be on Spotify for around six months' time. They'll sit there so you can take your time and listen to them as and when you wish. Also, uh, they are on Patreon, and you can get the ad-free version on patreon.com forward slash Mike Rain. What's important about the Patreon version is they are immediately uploaded to Patreon. So whereas on Spotify, you have to wait for next week's episode to be released at weekly intervals on Patreon, you get the episode as soon as it's released without adverts. So uh, take a look at that. If you can't remember that address, then just go to my website, mycrane.co.uk. Very easy to find, mycrane.co.uk. Have a look at the workshops on there. Have a look at the books in the shop. Both my books have sale there. The Mountain Leader, A Practical Manual and The Nature of Snowdonia. Um, and, of course, I'm sure you found me on Facebook on Notes from the Hill. So, Facebook Notes from the Hill, mycrane.co.uk, patreon.com forward slash mycrane. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Lives. My name is Mike Rain and my guest today is Mal Creasy. Mal was once described by one of the outdoor magazines as, as God and he's as near as he get in our outdoor world. He's certainly been omnipresent throughout my career. I first met him in the 1980s and he will not remember any of this at all but I worked alongside him on a ML training course at the Kent Mountain Centre in Llanberis when I was a young instructor. So he's a positive influence for me back back in those days. I then remember meeting him on my MIC assessment, it was called then, it's similar to the MIA now and he did one of the days on that assessment. Um, a chap called Berwin Evans who, who talked too much and uh, we had a struggle to reach reach our destination because we'd stopped and talked on this mountain day all day but we had a fantastic day I do remember uh, lots of chats so Mal has, has been around there for me for a long time and lots of people will know him because he worked for many years at Plaster Brennan uh, he's worked at the lodge at um, Plaster Brennan all, all the big big places but he's also done a lot with the BMC, um, sometimes in voluntary capacity, sometimes through his role at Mountain Training, because Malcolm was the technical officer for Mountain Training in England for many years and would make sure we were all up to speed uh, and would come along and do the, the moderation of courses. So he, well, we, we were just saying before we started, between us, we, we know a lot about Mountain Training courses, but because we've slipped out of the mainstream they keep changing the courses so we're struggling to keep up aren't we 
Anyway, Malcolm, how are you today? Uh, good, mate. Good, good to see you. Good to catch up again. Excellent. It's great to see you, Malcolm. Let, let's try and start at the beginning without getting too misty-eyed about it. I'm interested in this story about your mum and, and, and Manchester Ramblers and things. But, you know, when I started in the 70s, we went to an LEA centre from the school. I went to Bewley Park and scouting was very supportive. You started more than 10 years before me um, in the 60s. How, how did you go about becoming a climber and a walker in the 60s? Uh, quite difficult. Well, it was, it was easy in a way because um, the biggest influence was my mother. We lived on a farm on the Cheshire Derbyshire border and so holidays were limited. Um, but the few we had were either lakes or whales. And it's my mother really who whose origin well whose youth was spent in the in the Stockport area and of course it was quite a socialist family and that was the time of the the nineteen thirties of the great uh, trespass and the great bass trespass of Kinderscout. Uh, now I never got to the bottom of whether my mother was directly involved. I like to think she was, but she would never admit to it. But of course, um, I'll never find out now because she's long since passed. But uh, uh, I would like to think she was involved. And uh, he, how would we ever find out that? But. I know it's a really nice link, though, isn't it? To think that little bit of history is connected by by human lives. So, did she take you hill walking then? And... Um, not not so not, not so much. We we took ourselves off uh, around the hills of. Um, uh, uh, on, uh, like I say, on the T Cheshire Derbyshire border on Welly Bridge, Kettle's Hume, uh, me and my brother would get out on our bikes and cycle all that way to wow. uh, Willits Pass and all that places. But um, it was just a natural progression to from the from the CHA holidays we used to go on, Control oh, Holiday yeah. Association, uh, joining their climbing club, going on the CCPR. Central Council of Physical Recreation oh, yeah. weekend at Wingather Youth Hostel. That day, it's been close for about 30 years. Gosh, yeah. Um, and from there, just meeting up with a local um, member of the Scouts, and we took ourselves off to um, Wingather, um, the Roaches, uh, Trogat, mm. and Stanish. I remember finding the Stanish guidebook at the local library at about 1966, 67, and then discovering that half the routes we've already done are about BS. So, <laughs> so then we rapidly dropped our grade. But we didn't have a guidebook for these, these cracks. Really? One of the cross said, oh, that looks all right. And wow. Off we did it. Or, or if we didn't do it, we brightened ourselves stupid and ran away. So Stanley has changed quite a bit, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. In, 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 in actual fact, um, I've still got a 1964 guidebook upstairs, which makes quite nice, interesting reading. But it does, yeah. Mind you, all the, the modern routes which aren't in that I can't get up anyway. So. No, so that's <laughs> it, yeah. Do you have any photographs from that time? One or two, yes, one or two. Be interesting. But, most, in fact, I've just been going through a load of old photographs, but... Um, I'll have another look. There, there might be around somewhere. What kit were you wearing? When I started, EBs were the thing. Everybody was getting EBs. Baseball <clears throat> boots. 
They were EBs were only a slight development of baseball boots, weren't they? But uh, you were literally wearing not quite the plimsolls, but it was baseball boots. Baseball wasn't it? boots because they had a bit of ankle protection. Yeah, there's yeah. like a rubber sticker on the ankle bone. Fantastic. Uh, um, the, the, yeah, I used Cladney those for two or three years, and then uh, saved up and bought a, bought a, a pair of masters. Oh yeah, is that Galibia masters? Uh, I don't know what they were, but no, I, I, I think they were. Ebre Masters, something like that. Anyway, could have been. They were about the cheapest boots you could get on the market. They were quite cheap, yeah. yeah. They weren't expensive like they are now. No. Harness? No. No, not originally. We had a, a hemp waistline, which <laughs> about 20, 25 foot of number one line, they call it. And then you, you wrap it round and round. You tie it off every, every time you cross your front, you put a a reef knot in it, and then when you came to the two ends, you, you tied it off with a double fishing. Wow, that's amazing. And a big, fat, steel carabiner. And when did you start leading? Did you start leading these climbs, or were you just oh, yeah. chucking rope down? Yeah, no, we, we straight away. And what did you use for protection? I think we, I think we, yeah, we, we had old um, engineer, drilled out engineering nuts. Gosh, you still had some of them, because the Moak original did come out around then, didn't it? We, I think we, we saved up between us, me and my mate Frank, we bought one between us. Yeah, it's <laughs> equivalent to a Rock 8 these, game, these days, folk. <laughs> I've still got some original Moaks, they're still, they're still slotted. They're just finger size, they were very good, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Wonderful yeah. design. But, I mean, we soon progressed <laughs> on to very basic uh, troll belts, yeah, which yeah, is a... Yeah. But the Mark One and Mark Two or something, and yeah. about a two inch wide nylon belt with a, <laughs> a canvas tube around it, well, rather mm-hmm. like belt loops, and you threaded the rope round yeah. and tied up the bowline at the front. It's a big step there, Mal, from being lads messing about in the peak, cycling across to these places, to becoming a professional mountain guide. Was that something that took a long time? Was it a slow realisation? There can't be many people making a living from teaching hill walking and climbing in those days. That, you know, how has that journey progressed? Um, well, it, it was a question really of um, um, initially working at um, Plaza Brandon as, as a temp and getting your, after two weeks you get your uh, three pounds, ten shillings and tuppence wow. bus fare home. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, from there, you, you get to uh, lots of temping jobs, voluntary stuff at Whitehall, then the Peak, and then Housetown on the Lakes, just three months here, two months there, two weeks here. Um, got my ML in 72, um, with a guy called Arthur Clark, who's some of, some of the older folk might remember. Mm. Um, and from there, again, three months temping at the Brandon, this, that, and the other. Uh, it progressed slowly. Um, I suppose I'm one of the last people to come through that era. But most people since then have probably gone through college and a, yeah. a degree in outdoor ed. I never did that. I secondary bond education. Yeah. Um, uh, the university I, presumably wasn't really an option. No, no. Um, <coughs> When I left school, my, my, my father said you should get a trade. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, apprentice joiner. Wow. And being as his father, my grandfather, was one of the first people to set up the apprenticeship scheme in the UK. Oh, yeah. Way back in the 30s, and uh, it was a natural link. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. the apprenticeship joiner did three years, and then 
climbing got in the way a bit because um, <laughs> I, remember, I remember when in, in the local cricket club sweepstake I won 150 quid in about 1973 something like that yeah. so I thought right that's Sounds me like off a big the win, huh? I, I remember my, my first Alpine trip in 1970 I remember we did the journey there and back and left for a month for 60 quid each. Wow, yeah. Um, that's three of us in my Ford Anglia. Gosh, Ford Anglia. Brilliant. 60 quid we can get you to the, the Channel Tunnel. Oh, my goodness. Um, what did you do in the Alps? I mean, did you know what you were doing? Was it... <laughs> well, we, we we had a few epics. We got away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sadly, some people don't, but that's that's yeah. how we learned to do it. I mean, where did the information come from for climbing in the Alps? Was it from guidebooks or, or word of mouth? Magazines, magazines, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all, you know. We we yeah. we all we'd read the guidebooks, we'd read the books, we'd all yeah. read. Um, I remember reading Bonatti's Climbs and White Spider and being just completely terrified of every cloud in the sky because I thought we were going to have a starlight and storm. Yeah, I thought yeah. there's going to be a storm. It's going to end badly. Just a little fame. We went to Sham in um, nineteen seventy. Wow! Because we'd heard of it. We'd yeah. Yeah. It's down south, and you know, go through back into traffic lights and turn right, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, three hours in the minivan. That's fantastic. Uh, so we just, we got there. We we had a few epics. We did a few routes. Uh, it wasn't a particularly successful trip, although we 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 all came back in one piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You went many times after that. Uh, yeah, so about every year for mm. uh, seventy-five was my most successful year. We were only there three weeks, but we did about. 18 routes, which is oh, wow. uh, one thing after another. Just hit it well, didn't we? Flying with a Tasmanian lad. What did you do? Anything we've heard of? Oh, well, uh, Castle on the Badil, um, Kavich on the Chimagrand. Wow. The two oh, of the big, big routes. Uh, Muttridge on the Matterhorn, which we did from Marolla because my mate was Tasmanian. He had to walk for three days to get to the mountain <laughs> back again. Um, and a lot of other other things on the way. We got to yeah. Chamonix, of course, because we've been around Switzerland. We got to Chamonix, it peed down for a week. So we oh, it does that, yeah, it does that. <laughs> so at that time, were you thinking, oh, I'm going to be a mountain guide, or were you just, just going climbing? Going climbing. It was, it was a process of, I don't know, what's the organic process, where yeah, you actually yeah. sort of drift from one thing to another. Yeah. And I suppose, back when I got to my MIC in 77, um, it was only then I thought, oh well, um, I've got that. I might as well yeah. see how far I can get. Yeah. Uh, and there was lots of I had quite a bit of supporting uh, people at the Brennan who who said you should go for this move, do that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, some very interesting characters who, um, well, I know you come in, in contact with me in the past. Uh, but very helpful to me, very supportive to me. That's great, that's great. Yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, forgive us, forgive us, listeners. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say now. You put me off. Do you know what? It is time for a break, though. So what we'll do is we'll take a little break now and we'll be back in a moment. Excuse us, folks. I just wanted to take an opportunity just to tell you about a couple of new workshops I'm running next year. 
Most of the workshops I run are actually aimed at qualified mountain leaders and mountaineering instructors and international mountain leaders. But, you know, they're usually open to anybody who wants to come. So they're not exclusive. It's just that that's where they're aimed. What I wanted to do next year was do a couple of new ones for trainees. So these are not really um, CPD workshops. These are, well, the title is, Are You Ready for Your ML Assessment? And there are two of these. The first one will be focused on navigation, environmental knowledge and leadership. And the second one will be based on steep ground, um, a little bit of rope work and, you know, the hazard awareness stuff. Um, but we'll also come back to environmental knowledge on that one as well. The reason I've started these is so many people now do their training assessment with the same provider that provider i know from personal experience certainly the ones here in snowdonia and uh, others i've met around the country are really good so this is nowhere a criticism of them whatsoever they're, they're very good and they will always use other people as well so when you've been assessed it won't be just that person that you got to know but it'll be somebody else as well and what i wanted to do is just give you another viewpoint because the difficult thing about doing training with the same people is that you quite get to like them because they're really good. Um, flick through some of the ones we've interviewed on the podcast. You know, they're, they're good people. They're nice people. So I don't think you want to let them down when you go back for assessment. I think you want to be completely ready. I think you want to do your best. And I think you want that person who's assessing you to be proud of you and proud of the training proud of your consolidation and proud of the way you've presented yourself for ML assessment. So I'm doing two workshops next year. They're in March. If, if they fill up, I could put some more on it later on in the year. But let's see how these go first. Are you ready for your ML assessment? Independent view on your progress. Independent view on where you're at. From myself, Mike Crane, the author of The Mountain Leader, a practical manual. Come along, see how we get on. Welcome back, folks. Uh, sorry for, for the wee break. I'm back with Malcolm here. My name's Mike. And uh, we, 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 we're kind of into the 1980s now. Malcolm has, has got his MIC. It's probably just worth talking about that then because the MIA and the MIC weren't separate uh, through the 80s, I think. I think it was about 1990, wasn't it, Malcolm, when that separated? And, and I think you had a role in that as well, didn't you? Yeah, I remember in the in the there was people were were talking about the fact that the the MIC was not popular because it demanded sort of that level of winter uh, commitment, yeah. winter skills. Whereas people didn't want that; they wanted to teach rock climbing, you know, in the sunshine. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they they couldn't they didn't have an award or no entry for them to mm. get into anything. So. About 1990, the talk was this Mountaineering Instructors Award, which would be totally summer-based and would allow people to uh, work on ML courses, to take people multi-pitch climbing. Uh, it was a step on from, um, you know, an easier step in a way, but it meant initially as a progression that people could come into the system, yeah. teach at the level they wanted. Uh, and then, if need be, and if necessary, and if, they, if there's the time and the inclination, progress on to the MIC, which, yeah. of course, yeah. was all all seasons yeah. based. Yeah. Uh, about 1990, there was, 
I meet it in the um, at the Brennan, and there's about there's about six of us in a room, and there was myself, Mick Hardwick, and Dave Harris, who sadly passed away a couple of years after that, um, and Alan Fife and Sammy Crimble from the Lodge, and there's a couple of other guys there, I can't really remember who, but this we started to to write the the MIA syllabus until uh, sort of finally happened in. 1992 in early September I think it was uh, an MIA course yeah. a training course at Plushy Brennan and then Mick and Dave went off to the Himalayas and uh, and I went to the lodge uh, the following week which was a, as a continuity man yeah. so I worked on the first two MIA courses wow that's amazing uh, and of course after that it did it got very popular and certainly in the 80s I worked on many many MIA courses, yeah. training and assessments, yeah. uh, which is quite interesting because later when I was working for Mountain Training as the moderator technical officer, yeah. I was meeting up with a lot of the people that helped to train and assess. You so would, yeah. There's yeah. a nice link uh, Definitely. And, uh, and that's one of the aspects, one of the really nice aspects, uh, aspects of that work at Mountain Training because uh, it was going on to see people had Work with and trained and assessed yeah. 10, 15 years earlier. Yeah. Uh, so it was a nice, co- a nice. Uh, well, there'd be respect as well, Mal, wouldn't there? It'd be, be quite nice, you know, if, if yeah. Mal's coming to inspect me. I know I know he knows what he's doing because he's been doing it a while and he trained me. But you see, yeah, you, you always, you always, you're going to look at somebody, but people always get the impression of being inspected. Yeah. It's yeah, like people yeah. think they're being assessed. And the fact they they, they assume your assessor is trying to fail them, yeah. and that's far from the truth. We both know, like yeah. the assessor, all the assessor wants to do at the end of the week is say, "Yeah, great, off you go." Yeah, definitely. Um, I felt my role at Mountain Training was very much more supportive than that, yeah. and and helping being being the person linking with the office, um, linking see how different areas of the country mm-hmm. were interpreting mm-hmm. things. Uh, there was always a lot of controversy, of course, on the single pitch scheme, as it was called then, yeah. because of cyclists and access and things the, like that. The single pitch, well, the SPA, forerunner of the rock climbing instructor, that must have come in about the same time as the MIA then? Yes, about the same time. In fact, I was one of the, again, working from the Brennan, I was one of the first people in that loop yeah. to be given provider status yeah. outside, because up till then it was all the it was a national centres yeah. could deliver, yeah. or LA, LAA centres that could deliver ML courses, but yeah. it was the individuals who were, if you were licensed, if you like, to, to provide the yeah. the SPA course, as it was then. Yeah, I remember the early days, the SPA were quite fun. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of, lot of us sort of trying to sort of... Uh, trying to work it out. Work, work it out <laughs> as we went along, yeah. Um, these things take time to develop and bed in, and... Yeah. and uh, yeah, it's certainly difficult in, in, with, with the local variations, you know. I mean, it was really designed for places like the peak. Yeah, yeah. And when you talk to them to do an SBA course in North Wales or the, or the lakes and yeah. hang on, uh, where's a good suitable crack to do it? Yeah, yeah, it was hard. I was doing them in Cornwall. <laughs> Cornwall, yeah, we've got the sea cliff problem. Yeah. Unless you go to that, yeah. so what's that inland crack with a funny house on the top? 
Roche Rock. Roche Rock. Yeah. 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 We went there actually. Yeah, we uh, did find enough for potatoes to use. I went there a couple of times. Roche Rock. Yeah, yeah. as a moderated. Yeah, yeah. That's I was a like Dancing Ledgers, which yeah, yeah. Dancing Ledgers is an interesting one. Yeah, it, you know. It, uh, but anyway, they're trying to sort of yeah. Um, Get a level playing field. Find the way. Yeah. So you were working full time at Placer Brennan then? Uh, or you had been? I had been, yes. And I, 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 after uh, 92, I did four years on a permanent basis. So I went to 96. Yeah. Um, basically, after the tragedy of the Himalayas, yeah, yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, there, was, there was a, a void, and that. that Tragic accident to to Mick and Dave held things back a couple of years because they were the main instigators at Placid Brennan. Yeah, uh, and, I, and then I went back temping then in the late nineties, doing my own thing with um, my own little business, um, alpine work. And then in two thousand December two thousand, going to mountain training. Just for getting the mountain training, it was quite. Um... It was quite climbing focused, wasn't it? Um, you know, you're, you're not somebody who worked in the LEA centres doing no. that sort of outward bound type stuff. It, uh, it was it was teaching climbing, teaching mountaineering, I'd, teaching I'd, navigation in the hills. I did three months outward bound in um, 1976 in uh, Mid Wales, but yeah, uh, yeah. the self and outward bound probably were not a uh, not a perfect fit. <laughs> but I did I did LEA work. I did Auckland Cottage. Uh, but uh, how town, but they tended to be filling in for the, yeah. the the autumn season when there was not much else to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you did the MLs as well, didn't you? To come in yeah. and do those in various yeah. places. Yeah, you you put some. Was that when you wrote the books? You've done one or two instructional books, haven't you? Would that be that period? Late uh, late nineties. Yeah, oh, it's later. Is it? Um, was I got? I used. To, I was doing quite a bit of writing for the magazines, and one of the. The, the book publishers liked what I was putting in the magazines, I liked the style, so I did a couple of books. Um, they, well, um, they've, they've, they've been subdivided into about, third, about 11 different titles now. Really? Uh, I've got a copy in the other room which somebody bought me in Zermatt, which is in German. Uh, a friend of mine found one in, in a, a bookshop in Air, near Ayers Rock in Australia. Wow. Uh, there's an American offshoot to the, com- the publishing company I was with, so they, they put a, an American version out. Wow. And they, they sort of subdivided different, you know, improve your rock climbing, do this, beginners only. Different, different. Yeah, yeah. The, the two but it was based on your original instructional the, work. The, the, the two original works I did, oh, yes. really interesting. But, you know, if I look back at the financial thing, it worked, probably worked out about 50 pence an hour, if we're lucky. But yeah. uh, but it was the challenge. I enjoyed it. At least I knew at the end of that season what, what was actually coming in financially because you've yeah. got... There's so much for signing the contract, so much for producing the goods, and so much for publication. So, yeah, like, yeah. you know, it worked out all right. Yeah, books don't make a lot of money. Um, right, so you started mountain training. When did you start mountain training? December 2000. So you were there quite a long time, weren't you? And I think that's where many people will know you from. Yeah, that's what. What took you there? Were you, were your legs tired, or was it the next level, the next step? Uh, it was the combination of things. I thought, well, it was the next step, and I, 
a good friend of, of ours, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, said I was always trying to reinvent myself. Uh, and it, I was I was early fifties, and my two, my, both, all three of my kids were going to university, yeah. so um, it was a financial thing as well. And I thought, well, I, I can I can do that. I read yeah. the description. Uh, I, I knew most of the people I'd be working with, so I thought, well, I, I, I can do that. I applied and I got the job. And you managed to stay outdoors in that job as much as you could. I know there's some office time with report writing and stuff, but you managed to get the balance right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I forget how many moderations a, a year I did, but there's certainly... Uh, I mean, when I started there, there was something like two hundred and forty odd different providers. Gosh, in Northumberland and Cornwall, uh, <laughs> a bit between. So uh, I spent a lot of time on the road, um, but it, it it was a balancing act. Yeah. And yeah. one of my main sort of uh, remits of starting the mountain training was to try and promote the. I think it was then the. The Walking Group Leader Award. Oh yes, that just and, come in, yeah, yeah. Which of course was was uh, was launched, yeah. which coincided beautifully with uh, foot and mouth. Oh great! <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yes, it walked straight. In. So after that, the the Walking Group Leader Award, Hill and Moreland uh, Award these days. Is it still a, Hill and Moreland qualification? I think they call them now, rather than award. Yeah, uh, okay. that was one of the changes at the. Yeah, uh, but that that was sort of. Um, you know, it, it was very slow to kick, uh, very slow to start because yeah. people really didn't know what it was. Not surprised with the sort of name. In hindsight, you know what what was what, you know, yeah. walking group leader. What, what's that about? You it was know, a bit it? unclear, wasn't it? It was unclear. Yeah. Uh, and the ML is a strong brand, isn't it? Mountain leader, people go for, don't they? People knew what the ML was. Yeah. And yeah. People, you know, if you got the ML, you could work in high mountains, moorland. And Lowland. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I started work there with, with we had well, three awards, four, I suppose, well, five if you count the winter and the, the MIA. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But now, how many awards are there? Twelve? Oh, there's, there's a lot. So it's, um, I, I noticed, I think now if you look at the mountain training staff website, 20 odd staff there. And so wow. it, it's, it's, I mean, they're all directly involved. I was just curious to, uh, you know, to, to see how it was. Yeah, you do. You wonder to what degree there's a need for that, to what degree it's creating income streams, and to what degree it's needed because the number of people have increased that much, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> It, it's it, to my mind now having been involved in that for so long it, it's actually quite difficult to sort of uh try and keep track but to, yeah. i suppose i should try and keep track anymore yeah it is and and i always flip between yes of course we need all these qualifications because what we do is potentially dangerous but then on the other side of my brain it's only rock climbing it's not dangerous people don't fall off very often and uh, it's it's pretty simple isn't it a few <laughs> simple knots and a few nuts in some cracks it's not complicated why do we need all these qualifications do, do you have the same sort of dilemma or do you do you not recognize that yeah i do i do um i, I do sort of 
I, I do think that a little bit, but I mean, what I'm doing now, my own personal climbing, it, it's pretty simple. Again, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It has, it's got simpler, hasn't it? I did some moderation. I think I probably did just before you started full-time as a part-time moderator. I think that's how it started, the moderation thing. And uh, we had to sort of work out what was going on. Uh, and it, I, f- I did find it really interesting, but I, I was definitely able, after I'd done maybe 10 or a dozen, to to grade providers. Now, to be fair, there weren't many that weren't very good, but there were definitely some that were really good. How did you find that? Yeah, yeah, there was, uh, there was some that were... Yeah, I, I agree with that. There was some that were very good, and it, you, you go away thinking, wow, that's, that's really yeah. on the ball. That's it. And then there was some that you think, well... Pretty average, nothing wrong, nothing, nothing exciting. Um, and you, you know, you might come up with a couple of little comments to try and sort of yeah. uh, make them think about how they can make this a bit more interesting. Yeah. And then you come to the volunteer, and I, I did have some very difficult awkward decisions to make. Yeah. And I made them. I, I, there was one or two providers who, uh, um, you know, they, they, well, they fell by the wayside because. They they really were were not up to scratch. Yeah, uh, and in spite of all the support I could give them, uh, they weren't going to change. So yeah. I had to take some action. And they were very. Um, forgot what I was going to say then. Yeah, sometimes those are a bit boring. I just found we're just talking too much. It's a common. I think it comes from a good place, doesn't it? The the people, the climbers who are teaching, are really passionate about what they do. They've learnt about what they do. They know a lot about what they do, but they just talk too much. And people don't learn by being told stuff, do they? Especially if it's a cold, wet, chilly day. People want to get a move on and yeah. get get the blood circulating and and get some mileage in. Absolutely. Um, you know, there are some people that, that talk forever and. Uh, very, some some of it's quite interesting, but really, you know, it's a, the more mileage you cover, the more interesting things you see. It's a lot for people to take on, isn't it, when they're starting? Yeah. We sometimes forget how yeah. people are inexperienced and, yeah. and they don't know all yeah. that. So, that, yeah, that would be a good message for mountaineer instructors now. Were there any other sort of overarching themes you came from your time in mountain training that, um, that you'd sort of like to share? You know, it's it, it's an odd organisation, isn't it, with being in six different parts and goodness knows how many qualifications now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was an interesting, interesting time. And I said earlier, you know, the, the most interesting thing for me was sort of reconnecting with a lot yeah. of the, the, the sort yeah. of... Um, Trailblazers, if you like, of yeah. the people who first went in for the the MIA, the first the first opportunity for them to to access an award or a yeah. scheme, yeah. which would cater for their needs. And did, I think that was that was very good at the time. Did you work with moderators in Scotland and Ireland and Wales? Uh, uh, I did a moderation in Ireland with uh, Trevor. Uh, um, I I did one or two with Wales with 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 Britain I think Britain did one or two with in England but uh, uh, no I mean I I have experience of being moderated by um, Scotland when I was running the Winter Forces yeah, for yeah. Brennan. Um but uh, no I, d- I didn't get the opportunity to, to moderate up in Scotland <laughs> it was a, 
Alan's fifed him. <laughs> Coyle's shop in those days was fantastic. So there's a lot of joy in that job. What were the harder bits? The harder bits were really when you came across a problem. Occasionally there were problems between um, a provider and somebody who had been unhappy with their mm. results when you had to resolve those as my my job to resolve them and sometimes you came a very occasionally came across <coughs> a movie provider who perhaps um didn't agree or didn't want to sort of change the way they were doing things they hadn't hadn't really got it together and were doing the same providing the same course and the same level of training and assessment as there had been 20 years, 30 mm. years earlier, which mm. if the award had changed, you expect people to sort of evolve with it. Move with the times, yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, people who were, for instance, um, teaching a rather archaic method of, uh, of rope work on, on the ML. Oh, yeah. The, you know, yeah. When I did my ML, you virtually had to be an alpine guy to do the rope work. <laughs> uh, and I remember sort of, one one provider in particular um, who, who was setting up all, all sorts of weird and wonderful rope systems. I'm thinking, hey, you know, hang on, mate. <laughs> so, well, you cracked that on the MLs. It transferred to the SBAs, didn't it? Did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember at least one person on MIA being really good at hoists, and he said, "Oh, you've done a bit of this before." Then he said, "Yeah, we did it on our SBA." <laughs> I, I, I did come across that. Yes, oh, yes. So, so you, you go back into the sneak into the records and think who they did it with. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were there were always odd odd things. I mean, with two hundred and forty odd providers, it's bound to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. every so often something needs. And a lot of work on their own. And all it's hard yes, getting them it together. was an isolation, especially yeah. with the SBA yeah. as it was. Yeah. Um, not so much with it. I mean, uh, and again with the the LEA centres, they do one ML training course a year. Yeah, yeah. And one ML assessment. Yeah. Every two years. Yeah. So there was a little bit of uh, rustiness or something. So you know, rustiness, but uh, you know the the, the the sort of yeah. rope work method. You know the. The sort of um, fixed hand lines in particular yeah. were, were uh, yeah. something to be desired. Which I did enjoy the people who worked with at Plaster Brennan because I'd be tapping into what I'd learned from you and passing that on to another generation. But at the same time, that generation were questioning what we were doing and I was going, oh, it's moved on since Malcolm showed me that. And, yeah. and that transfer of ideas and challenging ways is really important isn't it yeah it is and, and, and in some ways what i one thing one thing i do miss is, is the fact you know i've got this information up here and this way of you know not fancy trick but they'll i mean i used to love improvised rescue yeah uh, on mias you know and uh, i used to love sort of people would sort of you know have something go wrong and then go into a complete panic because it's gone wrong. I said, look, it's improvised. That's not worked. Try something else. An old friend of mine, well, an old friend of ours, Nick, Nick Banks, he always used to say, get another spanner from the box. It's like a box of spanners. Yeah, yeah. And get something that fits. Get, get know, the tool fits. Do you remember you making a full body harness for the climbing rope? Is that just a gimmick for the... Uh... 
the magazine or the book, or was that something you actually used ever? I used. I did a. I did a. Uh, I, I, I did uh, two or three um, Chamonix to turn that to Hope Roots. Oh, that. yeah. It didn't yeah. take a heart, I took that. Oh, wow. Because if you've got... Because um, of the weight, presumably. Weight. Um, yeah, and, and, and you're off and on pretty well-tracked glaciers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got five people on a rope anyway. You've got to get another 15 metres of rope anyway, haven't you? So yeah, yeah. it does well, it take about it take, it take about 15 foot of rope. Oh, wow. Uh, five, yeah, five, five metres. <laughs> so you get rid of it, you might as well carry it around. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 that's an amalgamation between, it actually came from uh, an Israeli climber that came over on a course. Oh, yeah. Um, and somebody else's combination of um, Israeli something, something else, and, and if you make leg loops here, tie it off. Um, yeah, I could, put, I could do it now. I could, I could, I could try that. <laughs> I could get you give me a rope. Your hands would make the motion. Yeah, yeah, I could do it. Yeah, because it's, it's. A, I mean, the kit's changed beyond all recognition now, hasn't it? The yeah, yeah, yeah. Chalk yeah. and the rock shoes and the yeah. nuts we have. So I don't think anybody would go back in time really to the kit we used to use. But are there any attitudes or ideas that you you think have been lost a little bit over the years? Are there some ways where the old-fashioned ways were actually all right and it's a shame they've gone? Well, I've always been one for sort of the, the old kiss principle, keep it simple. Keep it simple, yeah. And I, I think now people try to overcomplicate it. And and um, I think that's, you know, it, I think there's, there's, there's issues where, you know, you don't always have to resort to technology, you have to resort to a bit of brain power. Mm. And... Um, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going back to back to the the old old days, but um, it, it, life was a lot simpler then. When you had it, you had a rope, you had a um, well, uh, you know, yeah. You, you I mean, when I first started instructing, you had a waist belt, a yeah, troll canvas yeah, waist belt. Yeah. So then we had a system of uh, if you fell off on an overhang, you had to. Uh, did never call a baboon hang you turn upside oh, down yeah, and that's right, yeah. uh, sling around your legs yeah. and sit back up immediately relieving that weight well that's yeah. a very simple idea but we don't need to do that now no. because of a, you know, everybody's in a harness yeah. but you know you do go, you do think sometimes we can do an awful lot with an Italian hitch or a Munter hitch and a, and a, yeah. and a couple of plusset loops you definitely can. I know it got ticky for me towards the end because I don't do it anymore either with the lanyards. People were on in purpose built, specially made lanyards. And, uh, I've never done that, never used it. No. I just, no, oh, I've got all this rope and I've got a sling anyway. So, yeah, things do change uh, yeah. and that's, that's okay. Uh, we haven't actually talked much about guiding, have we, Malcolm? Uh, you, know, you must have been one of the earliest mountain guides, really. I don't think there were many in the 70s. I know for me it was always a, the working away from home, having to live in a tent and stuff like that. Was how was it for you that the alpine guiding side of things? Uh, well, yeah, it was. It is a regret, you know. I was working away from home for so long because of the alpine season, the summer Scottish winter season in the winter, and of course by then I was I was leading the one two Himalayan trips as well. So I mean, yeah. I'd be six months uh, a year away from home which wow. you know, I, I do you know one of my regrets I miss 
seeing the kids grow up so much. I mean, we, sure, we have yeah. a great relationship now, but we always have had, but it was um, certainly yeah. um, one of the things that now thinking back, I did miss. Um, when I, I started, there was, of course, there was about two or three people before me doing full-time guiding. One, uh, Terry Taylor, um, still, still around, but not so well. And then Jeff and Breed Arkless, of course. Oh, yeah. Because I started yeah. with them. And it was myself, uh, Martin Barnicott, uh, Phil Thomas. I remember them, yeah. We yeah. were the first. Yeah. We were the first. When did Ron James fit in that? Ron wasn't full-time. Ron was working at uh, uh, Marsh College. Did, didn't he work at the There's some yeah. people uh, like uh, Di Rowland yeah. who, who did odd bits. Yeah. A week yeah. here, a week there. John Brailsford did yeah. a week. Uh, but he was, of course, full-time at College Normal. Of course he was, yeah. So there were very that. few people who were full-time. Yeah. Lots of people who did... Did the odd bit in their holidays, yeah. like Ron. Um, and one or two of those definitely did other jobs in the winter, didn't they? It wasn't as easy as it is nowadays to make a full-time no. living, I don't No, I mean, uh, well, Di, Di Rowlands was uh, one of the original Welsh guides, was, um, used to drive engines at Sandwich or Shinty Yards. And he had a milk round as well, so Di was a very um, busy man. Brilliant, that's brilliant. <laughs> one other thing... One of the problems with guiding is that, that people always want to go to the honeypot. Yeah. They want to yeah, go to Mont Blanc. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How many times have, been up, have I been up Mont Blanc? I don't know. I can't no, remember. No. How many times have I been up uh, Maton? Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. How many times have I been up the Ben? I don't know. No. Um, and yet, you know, some of the far flung bridges of Scotland, as we know, are fantastic. Oh, amazing. People don't want to go there because it's uh, well, very rarely so can't read the name on the map never mind pronounce it <laughs> and it doesn't that got that drawer of the ben or cable yeah, or the yeah, dewey or something like yeah. that or uh, you know yeah. so i i did do a lot of guiding and living in tents um uh, initially living in moving from bunkhouse to yeah uh door to back to bunkhouse and, and chalony and Finding cheap places to live in, uh, in Zermatt, um, living out of rucksack for the season, uh, mm. it was it was easy. I think it's changed now. I think the guides are doing pretty well now, aren't they? Yeah, I think um, so, yeah. You're still active, Malcolm. You still got the climbing wall. You still get out in the hills. Um, you still see other people working. What sort of tips would you have for, for people coming into the business now, learning to be mountain leaders, learning to be mountaineering instructors? What sort of things, advice might you give them? Well, a couple of things to bring to mind. One is, one is uh, keep it simple. As I mentioned earlier on, it's a, a simple approach is often the best. Don't overcomplicate things. You'll confuse people. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, uh, when you're qualified, when you're newly qualified, don't think you know it all because <laughs> you won't. <laughs> so just just remember your origins. Remember where you came from. Remember. Yeah. Uh, you know why you came into this business mm. um, I came in through the long way around the back door if you like the non outdoor eds route which I don't think many people have done since to be honest no. well, maybe recently yeah. but they might be coming back to it yeah 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 yeah, no, that's interesting. People equated the driving license, don't they? You get your license and then you learn how to do it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that leaves me to finish on continuing professional development. It's very important, folks. Come on some workshops. Malcolm Creasy, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure listening to you. And uh, thank you for joining us on The Outdoor Lives. Thank you, Mike.
Thank you for listening, folks. That was a Outdoor Lives podcast brought to you by mycrane.co.uk. You can listen to it ad-free on my Patreon channel. That's patreon.com forward slash mycrane. And if you listen through Patreon, you also get the each episode as it's released. Thank you for listening. Bye now.